Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Jordan? Very good, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you very much for the invite. Glad to be here. No problem. Happy to have you as the first guest on the the podcast, Startup Stories. Looking forward to learning a lot about you. For those that will be listening, could you introduce who you are, Paul? Yeah, sure. I'm from Berlin originally, and I was born here and more or less all friends left someday in their time. But I stayed because a lot of beautiful people come and work and visit Berlin. So I I got a lot of international contacts here. That's fine. I I grew up in Berlin-Kreuzberg and I always got the computer from my father, the old computers, and they were too bad to uh, play all the cool games and that leads me to engineering because I found out you can open them and you can exchange parts and so on and you can uh, start developing websites and so on. So I did that and that was basically my my way into technology and that's how it continued all in all. First as a full stack engineer, then as a founder and nowadays as a tech manager. Very nice. Thanks for the introduction. So what I would like to uncover in this episode is really to find out why you think the way you do, who you are and what your ambitions are and where that all stems from. So I think the best place to start is childhood. So I'd like to find out what was Paul like as a child and what was your upbringing like? Yeah, you can really imagine the small Paul as the child that sits in front of the computer and forgets the sport gears to not participate in the sport lessons in school. That was it very much until yeah, until my late 20s when I discovered it makes totally sense to move also a little bit the body. <laughs> but until that point I yeah, I dived really deep into the computer space. It was back in the days when we had dial-up modems and it the internet connection was super slow and it took <laughs> hours to download one mp3 file yeah but i collected them and i started to learn how to write websites and that leads me to the situation that i started to study computer science after school uh, because it was very logically but the university was not the place where i felt very very home and so i dropped out soon and founded my first agency with two friends one was doing server administration and the other one video production and i was in web development so we thought we build an agency and we do basically whatever you do if you say you know how to switch on a computer and yeah that leads me into the tech space or the startup tech space Nice. What age were you into computers? That was early around 10 or 12. And is that something that just, you know, you was being taught in school or is it something you came across by chance or? Yeah, no, it was my father who's very much into tech. And back in that days, he yeah, bought one computer after the other and I always got the old one as presents. So I needed to do something with them. 
And that was my, my entry. And then I went to the bookstore and to the libraries and borrowed computer books, basically, to learn how to develop a website. But don't ask me why. I don't have the exact answer. It was, it felt super, super inspiring and interesting. And it seems like there is a lot of things to discover. So I just jumped into that rabbit hole and basically <laughs> never climbed out again. <laughs> so you started getting into computers at the age 10. You've never looked back and you are where you are now. Or should we say, I'd like to know your road into entrepreneurship. So this podcast is about startup stories. And I'd like to know, you know, when you started your company, is it Nepos? Yeah. I believe. Yeah, Nepos. I'd love to know a little bit more about that and your road to entrepreneurship. Yeah, my first startup is called Ape Unit. And that was the agency with two friends and it is still existing. So if you're looking for a nice branding agency, I can really recommend them. And I had around 10 years of doing IT projects for clients on my track record. But after that time, I felt I want to, to have a team that joins behind a mission, right? In the agency business, you join behind the client. And the next big client is then suddenly your mission. And I wanted to have a product. I really want to stand behind one shared idea and we could say, okay, this is why we are standing up every morning and this is the way how we change something in the world, basically. And as I am also the IT go-to guy for my whole family and my grandmother back in that days had always the toughest questions and also the most time, basically but um, had huge problems with her computer, I decided, okay, I will get her an iPad, right? Because iPad is the most easiest way on how to deal with the internet. You just need to tap everything. And yeah, turned out it is super, super complicated. If you are not born in that generation that is really familiar with tech and also have this intrinsic motivation to dive into and say, hey, I have the most advanced device. I really want to use it now. Then... It's super, super difficult and not so easy as it felt for us. So the idea arises, hey, we need to have a new computer, especially for old people. Something that is always behaving the same. So you just need to learn it once and then you can do all applications with your knowledge. So the idea was the user is learning how to send an email and with the exact same interface, they are able to do a banking transaction or order groceries. And we called that the universal interface. And we partnered very early with a senior home and we went there and talked to some people and we discovered, okay, there is a huge need and the people are really interested in and they really want to, to use the internet and to be part of this new world and profit from the benefits there. So we felt, okay, this is very much the explanation that the product is needed. I met my co-founder and that was basically then that was the ingredients to found Napos. Nice. So the Napos was born in 2015 or 14? Yeah, 15, exactly. We had a year or something with planning and ideas and talking to the people in the senior home. So, the, But the official registration of Napos is 2015. Nice. And what I want to try and uncover is because everybody has ideas, right? Almost everybody has ideas at some time in their life. But it takes a certain individual to be like, you know what, I want to take this from an idea and turn it into 
reality. So what was it about this particular idea above all your other ideas that thought, you know what, I'm actually going to turn this into a reality? Yeah, I think it is very, very true what you stated. The ideas are there. So there are 8 billion people around the globe thinking constantly and generating ideas, right? The only difference is, are you taking the idea and start? And do you really believe into it and just go for it and make it to become reality? And for me, the most important fact and making it reality is talking about the idea. I met so many people, they asked me, hey, you are in the startup world. I also want to found a startup. How should I do it? And ask, okay, what do you want to do? What's your idea? Uh, sorry, I can't tell you because the idea is so great. <laughs> If I tell the idea to you, you will directly copy it. And that's bullshit, right? If the idea is that great, hundreds of thousands of people will have them. And there are already for sure 10 to 100 teams working on that idea already. So if you go out and talk to about your idea, the people who are all super, super busy and really not much are waiting to just get a random idea from somewhere, they will go and help you. They, and that's exactly how I met my co-founder, that I talked to more or less everyone I'm, I'm met. And then someone came back and said, hey, I, I met another guy who's also in that idea. Maybe you want to meet him. Turns out it was the best co-founder you can imagine. And we sit down, go to the notary and found the company. Nice. That made me think of a few things as you were, as you were talking there, because I'm trying to relate it to when I started a business, because... You know, I started my company from scratch with just an idea so that it's all similar. Whilst we, do, we did different products and different businesses, it's the same principle. And when I put myself in your shoes, when I think about what I did, now, I don't know if I would have started the business if it was just me. I think everything comes with an idea, circumstances, luck, situation, timing, all those sort of things. I thankfully had someone that also believed in the idea and was ready to jump in with me. Also, I had, you know, have no children. So I have no responsibilities, no commitments or anything like that. So I could jump in and take the complete risk. So my, that's what I'm trying to ask you. So let's say, for example, you didn't bring on this co-founder and it was just you. Do you think you still would have gone ahead and done it regardless? Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, co-founders, they bring also a risk right? You can yeah, <laughs> you meet people, you think, okay, we are the same and everything is fantastic. My first company I met, uh, I founded with two of my very best friends and it turned out it was super, super complicated because we had the strong relationship and friendship and it was hard to build a business relationship. On the other hand, being alone is also tough because finding a startup will bring you definitely into situations you've never been before. And if there is another person you can really talk to and you have absolutely no secrets or no need to play a game or a role or something, then that changes. So I would always think or recommend to find someone with additional skills, so not having exactly the same skills, and then sit together and listen to your heart. And if the heart is happy and saying yes, then go and try it and make the contracts when you are in the, in the honeymoon phase, right? So Absolutely. when you are really <laughs> behind starting and everything is easy and you're pushing forward, take time to meet a lawyer, to make 
to talk about the complicated things that will happen so you have clear playbook of what will happen if the honeymoon phase is over. Yeah, I think I'm in complete agreement with you. And that's kind of why I went with a partner to start this business because it is that second opinion. It is, you know, that yin and yang kind of situation, your strengths against their strengths, and it does complement each other quite well. And I just want to talk to people that have done it completely on their own. I absolutely admire them to be able to do that because I do think you have to are a huge advantage if you've got that, that right-hand person beside you. So, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. With regards to starting Nepos, what would you say in the initial stage was the hardest thing about starting up a company from scratch? We were in a very luxury situation that we started as a product development back in a time where we found very nice business angels that supported our initial development phase. And my co-founder was responsible for all the shareholder management. So I had the nice situation that I really can focus, could focus on on building the product and then of course you need to find the right people that was hard in the beginning so after you you found the, the good people from your personal network and you need to go one step further that was definitely challenging and so if i'm looking back the biggest biggest challenge was to identify what is the right scope of the product Right? You, right. you you start, you read all the books and you listen to all the stories of the huge founders who serve their product, serves millions of millions of people. And then you're sitting there all alone or with two or three people and you say, okay, now we need to build a system that is able to handle five million people. And that's basically not true. So to decide on the minimum viable product and what is good enough to just go to uh, go to the next step That is super hard if you are so inside the product development phase to say, okay, let's stop on the third and fourth design iteration and just go out and get user feedback and ask someone if they would pay for it. Because most likely the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Until you find really this sweet spot and you don't find it with, with the very best design in the first step. Yeah, of course. And uh, just resonate with what you're saying when you're very much honed in on your own product it's very hard to see what's wrong with it because you naturally want to be optimistic about your own product you naturally want it to just work straight away but uh reflection and getting opinions and seeing if users would actually buy is a, an excellent way to see if that product will work for you and that's also another argument for having a diverse founder team so you need, ideally, you have someone who's really into the details and really want to just work on it. And another person who's saying, okay, we stop at that point and push it out and we see how the users are reacting to it. So that's much easier if you are a team instead of just one person. Yeah. And ultimately the, the user is the right person in the situation because ultimately they're the ones buying it. No matter how good you think it is, it's about... How many people are going to buy this? And on average, you know, do they like it or not? Not you. And I, I learned this the hard way with our business. So every time we think of a new new strategy within the business, whether it's on the candidate side, client side, or anything like that, now I always follow a protocol to perhaps share my idea with someone that's 
already specialized in that particular strategy that I was trying to achieve and get a review on it. And the amount of times where I thought it was perfect, but after review, there were so many critiques, but I like that now. I used to take criticism, not so great initially, especially when I thought the idea was so fantastic, but the criticism is good. And ultimately it's going to improve your product. So I totally resonate with what you're saying. Yeah, but it's also very hard to accept that critic right and to posure the your baby basically you worked so hard for it or you put so much brain power in it to create the concept and then show it to someone out of the industry and they just have a lot of remarks and hints and how do you manage it to take then this um, input serious right it's so easy to say yeah come on this random guy has no clue about it and they don't <laughs> understand what i explained in detail because they were not listening exactly so do you have any kind of mindset shift to, to accept that? Yeah. And the reason why the person you're sending it to is a better critic for the for feedback is because their emotions are, t are taken out of the equation, right? Whereas you're so heavily invested in it. You're not going to really take the blinkers off and actually look at it from a, a business point of view or a user's uh, interaction point of view and things like that so yeah uh, i feel like that's gonna that's definitely been a turning point in our business as we've evolved it's taking criticism well not taking it to heart not taking it personally and most of the time these people just want to help you so it's really good stuff so you with nepos you went for seven years seven and a half years strong was that right yeah roughly we raised all in all nearly five million euros of capital and we scaled the team up to 40 people we extended the initial idea of the universal interface into building our own tablet so we had a hardware development team and they built a tablet computer based on a system on a module we had an employee in china in shenzhen who we visited and we found the right producer and manufacturers and so on and then Then we run into the problem that we were not able to raise money again to produce the first 5,000 devices. So we were at 90%, but we were not able to explain why this is needed right now. For sure, we also did some mistakes on the way. That's something you have to do and you learn out of it. But in the conclusion, we took the hard step and reduced the team and we switched the approach from hardware and software into software only and reduced the team from 40 back to 10 people and launched it together with a bank and a famous newspaper here in Germany. And yeah, that was the software only approach that lasts a little bit longer. But in the end, for me personally, after uh, spending five years every three minute, I lost the yeah a little bit the power of pushing forward the software only approach so that's why I stepped out from my operational roles after five years but Nepos the company is still existing and the mission behind it is still so important and so valuable from day one on they told us okay there will come someone and build exactly that within the next year that's so obvious but now looking back seven years no one did it basically so it's still still unsolved problem yeah it's actually crazy to think that there's not a solution out there as far as i know already there are solutions there are multiple solutions there are also a few startups trying to tackle it but i need i have to say it right now no one did it as good as we did <laughs> so far <laughs> yeah i mean we've all got i for one i've got grandparents that 
really struggle how to use modern day computers and stuff like that so there's definitely a big market for it hopefully it does get off the ground as you say the mission still stands and uh, I always say you can't fail if you never give up so no matter how long it takes as long as you keep pursuing it you never know what may happen with that so you stepped aside and uh, you moved on so what followed for you after Napos? Yeah, it was it was very very painful to to leave the team and the mission and I mean I I, I gave everything right in in that time and I was pretty sure that I will continue in the startup world and I called again a few friends and one was working for eBay and I thought it's a good idea to convince him to maybe step out of the big corporate and found something new with me. But he convinced me to join eBay, basically, and to lead an incubation project that was meant as a speedboat next to the big, big ship. And I had the pleasure to join the big tech corporates and feel how it is to not be a startup, basically. And I did that the last two years and it was super, super inspiring and insightful time. And we had a great success with starting in a very small team of two people. And then when I left end of last year, it were around 100 people and we acquired another company in between. So that was a crazy ride and super interesting. But it also showed me that in a company with around 600 people, I have other strengths. From my startup experience, I'm really moving into different parts and I want to connect everything with tech because we are building tech platforms, right, more or less. So that really should be the basement of everything. And yeah, with around that hundreds of other people, it was uh, difficult for me. So I decided to join a smaller company right now, beginning of this year. And now I'm the head of technology and innovation for the XU group. Nice. So I, I've obviously looked at your career history and I have it here next to me. I'm really intrigued to know why you're wired in the way you are in, in the sense that you like, you clearly like that startup atmosphere, whether it's your own startup or in a startup. What is it about a startup that appeals to you so much in comparison to, let's say, a corporate organization that has everything sweet already ready for you to join? Yeah, the startup is basically yours, right? And we as human, we know how the things are working or how they should work and taking the chance and see if you have the right view on things is for me super fulfilling. And I love to jump into into challenges and into new situations and see how far it goes. And I really made the experience that the people are helpful and friendly. And if you talk openly about your your needs and you're expecting the best and most of the people support you on that way. And this is fantastic because if you come to into a situation and you say, we, have, we are a small team, we have the startup, we try to achieve this and that. And then the situation is completely different to, hey, I'm working at a big corporate as a tech manager and everyone is thinking, okay, they have money like crazy. No need to go into details. That was how I experienced it so far. And that motivates me very much. And if you see that something is not working, you just go and change it. You sit together on a table and you say, okay, obviously that's not the right way. Let's try something different. And yeah, it's... It's exciting. So you enjoy risk, would you say? Yeah, for me, this is a point I really thought about because some people tell me I don't have some 
risk assessment because for <laughs> me it does not feel very risky. So I know a lot of things in tech and it would always be easy until the AI is taking all our, our jobs. It is easy to find a tech job, right? So for yeah. me, the chance is much, much bigger and the risk is super low in trying to go your to take your own way yeah i mean yeah i'd agree with that with yourself because especially the position you are in and the knowledge that you have if you needed to really go back and let's say i don't know join a corporate company where things are there's very little risk and everything is set in stone that wouldn't be hard for you to find a position like that i mean i know that from we've spoken previously you have to have children so even having children and stuff like that do you not Is there no like element of worry about going into a startup or starting a startup, even though you've got so many responsibilities? Yeah, of course. I am father now of three daughters and I'm also sitting in the room of my twin daughters. Yeah, that changed, of course. And I really want to be part of their life too. But I'm totally convinced that you can create something with a fair amount of time so for me the times where you spend 14 hours in the office and sleep over or under your desk and then start early in the morning again this is really over because i want to be here at dinner time this is something that that changes for sure and i think that behavior is not working for every startup model you can imagine there are some things where you need to invest all the power in the beginning but If you are working smart and intentional on the right things with a team who is self-responsible and you are not creating a system where everything is dependent on you, then you can really achieve a lot and still have time to see your family grow. Yeah, uh, obviously I don't have kids myself, but I resonate with what you were saying with regards to working smart and stuff like that. I think in the beginning, especially when it's just an idea, you don't necessarily know the blueprint on how to run your business, especially if it's for the first time on your own. So I, when, when I think about back to what I did, uh, it was all work, work, work till late at night, barely any sleep, didn't go out for a long time. I think in my first year of business, I don't think I really went out to any social events for the first year at all. But I had no kids as well, so it was a bit easier for me. But then once you get into the swing of things and you understand the protocols and systemization and stuff like that, we're now in a position here at Montfort where, you know, if I need a lot of administration done, a lot of research done on certain areas that I want to focus on, we have virtual assistants that will help us with that. So I can focus my focus on high level activity, which is talking to clients and candidates actually on the phone and, uh, you know, trying to help them with their businesses and hiring and whatnot. But if I was spending every day, all day doing the administration side, like I used to, I wouldn't have enough time to do or have more time to be speaking to clients and candidates, which is what I consider the high value part of my job. So completely agree with you that. And, and that's exactly what we do here in terms of delegation and um, automation, that sort of thing. Yeah, very good point. So most likely you read also the books of Tim Ferriss. Yeah, yes. <laughs> the four-hour work week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you can learn a lot from them. And I discovered for me, it was super hard to implement that because there is this common thinking of, okay, I can do now the bookkeeping stuff myself in 10 minutes, or I teach someone to do it and it will take, if I need to find someone in addition, it will take one or two hours. So I do it on my own. and But that builds up over time, 
right? You have another 10 minutes task, another one, another one, and then you don't have time to call clients or record podcasts or anything. So coming into that mindset and find people who are able to recognize that and remind you on, hey, do you really need to do what you're doing right now is very valuable in the process of setting it up. And another word on, on the work time itself, I mean, for me, The last two years as tech manager for eBay, it was also like, okay, I can close my laptop after eight hours, that's fine. But my brain still continue thinking about the stuff. And now when I more in the startup or XU is more grown up, they are already around 60 people. So it's not that startup like anymore. But I really enjoy thinking about the tasks. I love to to bring the kids to bed and sitting next to their bed, seeing how they fall to sleep. And while they're thinking on how I can structure the next meeting, it does not feel like work. It feels like a super nice brain exercises, basically. Yeah. And I bet you're a lot happier that way as well, right? I mean, now I'm in the honeymoon phase of starting a new <laughs> yeah. job, so I'm super happy at the moment. But let's talk about that in a year or something. Because after you go into the processes, it uh, changes, of course. Yeah. And just going off what you were just saying previously about the whole sort of delegation to other people and stuff like that. It's not always just about, yes, because I, I had this issue where I know I can do it a lot faster than they can do it. But I realize it's not all about that. It's about energy levels as well. So whilst yeah. it might take me 10 minutes and it take them an hour, I'm still using my energy, brain power and stuff like that to do that task. And we don't think that if it's a mental energy, that we think it won't affect us because we're not physically doing something. But I realized that the more mental energy that I have to do to do these all little tasks, it takes my focus away from the task, the main task at hand, that big goal. So I actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, Eat That Frog. I heard the title, yes. Yeah, it's a great book. I love it. It's one of my favorite books about just tackling the most important task of the day. I usually do that first thing, get that done. And as I say, the tasks that are not as high level or high value, then I delegate that, even though I could probably do it quicker than the person doing it. But it takes that mental energy away from me so that someone else can do it so it doesn't stop me from being high value in that task that I was doing. Yeah, definitely. To recognize that and also to take that into active consideration to say, hey, I'm now free of the bookkeeping stuff. Now I I have time for something else, more mental capacity to to think about the strategy or something. And yeah, it's a, it's a progress to learn that and to accept it. Exactly. Totally agree with you. So talk to me about then. So you've joined this new company, XU Group, as your head of technology and innovation this year. Sounds really cool. Had a little look into the group. So talk to me about XU Group. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. They started as a university, basically, and educating people in e-mobility, digitalization and sustainability. And something like a year ago, they decided to focus on the B2B approach only. And they sold the university part and now offering a learning experience system to corporate customers. So... We know that we need to move the, the world basically forward in that mega trends of e-mobility, digitalization and sustainability. And to move something, you need to have knowledge. And we provide now the, the knowledge tools. And what really makes a difference is that we're not only a tech platform where you can learn basically everything. We have the domain experts and the domain knowledge about the 
the trends so we can give both hand in hand the content and the tech platform and i think that is a very very nice offer and it's still in the beginning because even though there is already a very successful learning platform in place also the way how we are learning and how we are interacting with content is really changing so i'm very happy that i have the honor to support now the internal tech team to move the platform forward but also take a look into innovations like ai or multi-device learning or reverse learning i learn also a lot of new words here that's very inspiring but yeah it was basically the theme of my life to continuously learn and dig into new topics and building now a platform to support people on that is really fulfilling so that's a very great task i am on at the moment and we are also looking for another senior engineer so if you are familiar with node.js and at the moment it's hosted in the asia microsoft cloud and we're using angular on the front end so if you resonate with that technology or you want to teach us how to change it then get in contact with me the good news is that is very much our specialization and has been for a very long time yeah so okay you've been brought in to move the tech platform forward as you say and, and work on innovations as well and stuff like that now going into this position do you for yourself what are your goals and ambitions for the business yeah i'm super happy now that i have uh, decided for myself that my strength is in product and technology and not as always in the last 15 years in doing basically everything so i feel very comfortable in focusing on creating a team that is enabled to build a straightforward platform. So a self-responsible team that understands where the business is and what the next steps should be from the business strategy-wise, but then are able to decide which tech decisions need to be done. And not having the tech team sitting down in the basement and do the stuff and always complaining, but instead putting them in the middle of the company and say, hey, we are building a tech platform and this is the ground for innovation um, this is uh, my my goal and yeah i want to to achieve it through first of all great teamwork and a very open and transparent communication pattern and i am totally believed that if you find the right way on how to talk about things you can literally achieve everything Love to hear that. I'm really excited to see your journey over the next six to 12 months on how you progress within XU. I know that obviously we'll be keeping in contact anyway, so be good to hear your, your progress throughout the year. Hopefully 2023 is a really good one for you. I'd love to also understand your personal motivators. What motivates Paul besides XU? Just so you as an individual, what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning, do what you do? What motivates me definitely on a day-to-day -day level is to know in advance what I will tackle on the next day. So I get up very early at around 4.30 when the family is still sleeping and it's super energizing to have a concrete task. So when you need to wake up the family and bring them to childcare, you accomplished already something that is fantastic and one of the The biggest motivators and yeah and in a more general abstract way i'm working hard on a vision for myself 
So creating a vision board and I find visual images of uh, yeah, doing regular sports and having a nice team to work with. I also run my own podcast and all of that things to make them visual that relates in the current time with me that pushed me forward. That's basically the thing I learned the last years that if I really make it explicit and to to have it as a picture in front of me that helps and yeah puts the pain away i like that so you're very visual i think i'm very similar in that regard it's good to sort of try and visualize something come to fruition which is really nice also with your podcast as well i'm happy i'll give that a good shout out when we when we release this as well i for one have listened to obviously an episode or two of yours that you recommended i thought it's fantastic excellent cover art as well <laughs> yeah thank you very much yeah so uh, it's called product and cake and i do it with one of my favorite colleagues back from ebay and yeah we are talking about product and tech stuff always in short episodes so give it a try wicked i think that's the way forward nowadays two three hour podcasts people just don't have the attention span <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so you get up at 4 30 Uh, it really got me intrigued because I'm someone that gets up really early. I know my reasons for getting up early and starting the day that way. Do you think there's a sort of a protocol or um, should we say, is there something in it with regards to getting up early and starting your day at that time? I think it depends very much on your personality. And I also read that our genes dictate a little bit how are we are a morning person or a night person. So for me, the key point is to find that concrete focus time. And I always thought, okay, I'm a night person. I want to sleep long and I want to get into bed very late because the evening hours are so beautiful and you can do whatever you want. But that turns into the situation, I have time and I do here a little bit and there a little bit and the day is floating out. And in the morning, you stand the pain to get up already and then you are sitting on your desk, you have your fresh coffee and then you know, okay, I have one and a half hour or two hours and I really want to achieve something. And this boundaries gives me a lot of energy and let me really focus on concrete tasks. So I discovered this time is much more productive for me personally. But I think if you find a mode for yourself on how to how to set kind of boundaries late at night, that could be also totally working. Yeah, I like that. I really do believe that you need to sort of trial and error a few things to find out what works for you. I mean, I'm 29 now and it's taken me well, 29, 29 years to work out what's the perfect protocol for me. And uh, I, similar to you, have always been someone that's got up really early or been a morning person, should we say. But uh, I always used to go to bed really late. So I made it my mission to good sleep. It's, uh, it sort of translates to your happiness, right? So I didn't realize this from a young age. And I guess you don't really know until you grow up a bit more wiser, more educated on the situation. And now I'm a bit like a, a bit like a, a grandpa. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in bed by around 8.30. Ideally asleep by 9-ish, 9.30. But then, uh, you know, I'm waking up at like 5.30. Yeah. And I'm so much more energized. And thanks to you, I have the aura ring now to see how good my sleep actually is, which what a fantastic addi addition. Yeah, as older as you get, the more 
concentration you need to put into your body, but also health and movement. And yeah, for me, it also completely changed on a stressful day to block 20 minutes and walk around the house. It's something I was never valued as uh, important, but now it feels really like, okay, that then I can start a new day and I'm, I'm super fresh and I achieve much more. But Yeah, for me, it took 37 years. So nice to hear that you are much faster than me and that kind of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all, I guess, have eureka moments at different times. And mine was just, I couldn't understand why I was eating healthy. I was always training, but I always found that my attention span was going or that I wasn't in a good mood as much as I'd like to be. And as soon as I changed my sleep, everything changed. So I now look at, everyone says that your nutrition is so important. Yes, it is, of course, but... For me, sleep is number one way before nutrition Yeah, because poor sleep actually makes you eat bad anyway because you look for fast fulfillment, you know, from junk food and stuff like that, which it gives you in the short term, but not the long term. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's exactly like we talked in the beginning about the product development and the starting a new new uh, company. You need to find ways on how to discover the things, right? It's easy to listen to it in a podcast or to, to read a book about it and maybe it gives you the first limbs. But having a person that tells you, hey, look at these and that patterns that are there and here's a suggestion on how to change it, that makes a complete difference. In, or at least for me, it was a complete difference when I worked with a biohacking coach three years ago to find out these patterns and to find out why I feel so demotivated from time to time or so super sleepy. And whatever he told me, I heard already somewhere and I thought, okay, that's super logically. I could also watch some YouTube videos and find it. But it's a difference. If you have a one-on-one -on -one call or a, even a face-to-face -face meeting, then yeah, it resonates differently and it pushes you forward much, much faster. Yeah, completely agree. And it sort of gave me um, sort of thoughts about what I do as well. Like over the last few years, I always tried to do everything myself. But uh, over the last two years, I've more than ever, I believe in like mentors or reaching out to people that know more than you on the subject and stuff like that and i can't believe how much i've elevated myself as an individual and my business by not being afraid to ask for help whatever it may be whether it's mentally physically business it's it's incredible other people are, are willing to do to help you obviously yes some are actually it's their business so you do need to pay for these services but if there's value in it then obviously it's worth every penny Yeah. And I mean, you can also move your brain into that direction and create a budget and put a certain percentage percentage of your income into a learning bucket. And whenever you have some money over there, you go and say, I need to spend this now. It's not something I take from my day to day living. It's an explicit budget for learning or for coaching or mentoring, whatever. But um, putting that money aside and then don't feel painful because you need to pay that much amount of money changes the situation. No, I like that. It makes complete sense. You put the money aside or whatever it may be, then you won't feel the pinch as much because it's already saved up and you've sort of forgotten about it. like that. Okay, cool. Well, to wrap it up, Paul, could you tell me what is the most important lesson that you have learned throughout your Uh, entrepreneurial startup life 
Okay, now let's go into the second hour of that podcast. <laughs> I prepared already a very long list. No, just joking. And we already, I think, meant a few very important things. For me, business-wise or startup-wise, it's definitely to focus on building fans in the early days. So instead of thinking, how can we reach millions of people from certain target groups or even worse to say, hey, our product is basically for everyone, concentrate on fans. We did that at Nepos in the very early days when we cooperated with the senior home and the people are still using our early prototypes and they sharing our mission and they stand really behind the idea and the company. And this is super valuable. And if you can, can convince and build fans for maybe 100 fans, that's a much, much more valuable than 1,000 users that registered because you had a catchy copy AI phrase. Another thing, I was trapped a long time and I heard that advice popping up everywhere in the last months is do things that don't scale. We really tried hard to build systems, for example, customer support that would be able to handle thousands of calls and in the end, no one called. And just saying, hey, here's a number and let's see who's calling And then too much people start to call, then you solve the problem. And when you think about new ideas, go out, make them manually, hire a virtual assistant, hire your friends, whatever, put in manual work to, to make it work and to prove that this is the right way, then raise the money and you can build a super awesome automated tech platform, whatever. Like it. Well, thank you, Paul. Really appreciate your time. Great to learn all about you. I actually like to leave my podcast with a very interesting ending. So when I have my next guest, I like to ask them a question at the end, completely anonymous. So I'd like you to give me a question that you would like me to ask the next guest, but they won't know who it's come from. Okay. So, I mean, what I really appreciate and... I want to have a question that goes behind the normal uh, shiny surface of the startup world, right? If you meet someone at an event, everything is great and everyone is super happy. And in the end, you feel bad because it seems like in the startups of everyone else, it everything runs fantastic. So maybe the question could be, what was the worst business decision or the worst business situation you faced in the last three months like that what was the worst business decision you faced in the last three months you are free to rephrase it <laughs> it's a great question yeah and maybe what was the situation and how do you tackled it how you tackled it i like that i want to to get an idea about what really or i want to share the information that it is hard for everyone it's not just you who is suffering on all the startup stuff basically everyone is doing but we have a huge industry of social media and press release to to make a big layer on top that looks great i really like that i wanted to do that because it was it, i know it was on the spot but it was raw so what was the worst business situation you faced in the last three months and how you tackled it so that will be asked to the next guest they won't know who it's come from and then uh, i'll let you know what their answer was great Thank you. And then I just want to end up with one recommendation. I recently read the book Humankind, A Hopeful History from 
Rutger Brachmann, Rutger Brachmann, um, a Dutch historian, and he analyzed our society basically. And he shows that what we think about how people are living together um, is completely different to the reality and also to what research shows. So this book was so fantastic and you have find an audiobook version on Spotify on it and other streaming platforms or buy the book. For me, it really gave me back hope for humans and that feels really relieving and I want to recommend it. Thank you. So humankind, yeah? Humankind, a hopeful history. Yeah, I for one will be putting that on my uh, my book list for sure. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, and also don't forget to subscribe to the Product and Cake podcast. I think, Jordan, you need to provide a link list in the show notes. I will. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right, Paul. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thanks for being a guest on the episode one of Startup Stories podcast. It was a pleasure to be here and I'm really looking forward to, to listen to the next guest and interested in the answer. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.